Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a hop, skip, and a jump across the Harpeth River from me, here it's our offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. What's up, guys? Uh, Just getting ready for the Clarksville, I think they're the Clarksville Eagles, maybe? I don't know. They wear purple, so anybody that wears purple, no good, at least this week. Um, but I'm ready for a good show, man. We, we, we got off to a, a blazing start, and uh, I look forward to continuing on that pace. All right. Well, uh, we need if we're going to be on that pace, we need our hair out in front of us. Uh, that's our third amigo in the second city, a man who is now gainfully employed at George <laughs> Washington High School in Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, George From Big Ten Counting, Josh Cook. Oh, yeah. you're a patriot, too. Go, go patriot. That's their school nickname. Although I'm curious, Matt, when you said I'm the hair, uh, H-A-I-R or H-A-R-E? H-A-R-E, clearly. Okay. Well, you're gonna be, I didn't know. You're out, there, you're out there setting the pace for us. <laughs> I didn't know Sorry. whether I should find it amusing or uh, less amusing. You can find it however you want to find it. All right, I find it insulting and right. unnecessary. Your, be, your world, Josh, we're just living it, man. I don't say, well, that would be just uh, part and parcel of the tone for this podcast in general. So um, nice. insulting is right where we want to be. <laughs> well, um, it is week two, even though some teams are already 2-0. and uh, We are now fully fledged into the second week of the college football season. So like we do with all of our weekly shows, we are going to start out with some quick slants and Josh, you are up first. And I think you're going to be taking a look at the Cyhawk trophy. I am indeed the annual rivalry between Iowa and Iowa state. That's the aims this year. Uh, both teams are one and oh, Iowa had an offensive little bit of a hiccup, maybe kind of working through some growing pains, but the defense was great. Special teams, was really good. Iowa State also had some defense. They put up 42 points, or excuse me, offense. They had some offensive issues. They put up 42 points, but that was helped by three interceptions, two pick sixes, so really just 28 offensive points against FCS Northern Iowa. It's really going to come down to which of these two inexperienced offenses can sustain the most drives because both teams have potential but uh, didn't live up to it, I don't think. In week one. Yeah, obviously always a bit of a fun game there uh, for everyone in the Hawkeye State. Um, So, Coach, what's your first quick slant? Well, my first quick slant is going to take a look around the Southeastern Conference. Um, I'm going to do kind of a whip around some games we're going to talk about later that I won't mention here. But I just wanted to make mention of a few games. Probably one of the oddest games that that I've seen is uh, Florida and Northern Colorado. Um, not not real sure why they would go and, and, and play them, but, well, uh, I guess well, the, 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 game's in, the game's in Gainesville, right? It's not in um, – it's not up in Greeley. 
Yeah, you're right. It's, I mean, it's it's in it's in Gainesville. So, but but still, I mean, that just seems like a very random team to to play. My guess is uh, my guess is McIlwain wanted to face his old school, and he he forgot where he coached. Yeah, I think he's just like, okay, Colorado. Uh, okay, whatever. Well, he clearly um, forgot how to coach offense, so wouldn't be surprised if he forgot how to where he used to coach too. Yeah, that is true. Um, also, Eastern Kentucky takes on Kentucky uh, at the at the grocery bag. And <laughs> side note, Kentucky had sold their naming rights to Kroger. I guess they want to sell the fact to the fan that their game is always in the bag. Uh, 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 uh. Uh, so the bat, uh, so the Battle of Kentucky uh, for Kentucky State Championship is going on at 11 a.m. in the big grocery bag. Uh, then you have UT Martin traveling to Ole Miss. Both teams one and one, but the Skyhawks are dangerous. But look out for Shea Patterson and uh, and the Ole Miss Rebels. I feel like they should pretty much get that one. Uh, Fresno State, who I think we finished dead last in the Mountain West for uniforms, they're one to zero so far. Um, but uh, that's not going to last very long as they travel to Tuscaloosa and Bryant Denny Stadium. Another random matchup. Why I don't know. I guess they just needed a random random game. Uh, another matchup: TCU traveling to Arkansas. Uh, to play, to take on the Wu Pig Suey. Kenny Trill uh, comes in. Uh, last week he finished 18 of 23 for 206 yards. Oh, Coach, don't get, don't get too in-depth there. We're going there on our spread formations. Throwing four through the air. Uh, the uh, Indiana State Sycamores take on the Fighting Garbage Cans. Uh, Tennessee hopefully can shake off the uh, the the – the rust and, and being worn out. Uh, luckily, they brought their cold tubs. Luckily, they had room to bring their cold tubs and their trash can to Atlanta, so they'll be they should be well recovered for this game. Uh, Alabama A&M comes up to Nashville, takes on the Vanderbilt Commodores. Kyle Shermer last week, twenty of twenty-eight, extremely efficient, two hundred ninety-six yards and three touchdowns. Ralph Webb, twenty-four carries, forty-nine yards and a touchdown. Also had three catches for one hundred and four yards. And a touchdown. So Vanderbilt's offense is looking like an actual offense. Uh, the only conference matchup this week is South Carolina traveling to Memorial Stadium in Columbia, Missouri, to take on the Tigers. Drew Lock, uh, and uh, it'd be Drew Lock, and then I'm, I'm interested to see how uh, Debo Samuel does on the road at Missouri. Conference game there. Nickel State, who almost upset Georgia last year, is traveling to College Station. Hopefully Texas A&M will redeem themselves. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, Chattanooga going on to take on LSU down in Baton Rouge. And finally, uh, probably the uh, CUSA game of the week, Mississippi State travels to take on Louisiana Tech. That should be an interesting one there. We'll be talking about that one a little bit later in spread formations as well. But, Coach, you're talking about the trash can. Reminds me of uh, – I have a, a question that I'm going to throw out to both of you guys. Which uh, sideline – True. Which uh, sideline accoutrement interests you more, the pimp cane that Texas A&M had or the big fat truck jewelry that the Miami Hurricanes had? <laughs> I'll go uh, with the, the canes do, honestly. Yes, I, I will too. The canes are just that, – that's just kind of how they do. That's their history. <laughs> they just do crazy stuff. Uh, the pimp cane was, was – uh, it didn't really, didn't really resonate with me until they – Blew a thirty-eight point lead. So until they got uh, turned around and smacked with it. Yeah, Josh Rosen ripped it out of their hands and started beating them with it. So that was uh, 
That wasn't good. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, my first slant is going to take a quick look at what is a huge non-conference FCS matchup this weekend between North Dakota State and Eastern Washington. North Dakota State Bison head to the Red Turf in Cheney, where they're going to be an Eagles squad that is definitely in need of a fresh start after a pretty bad drubbing at the hands of Texas Tech last weekend. In Aaron Best's first game as head coach, uh, Eastern Washington clearly missed last year's stud receiver, Cooper Cup, as they were really unable to get any sort of air raid attack going on in Lubbock. Uh, however, uh, quarterback Gage Gubrud is back, and odds are they'll be much more comfortable atop the crimson pitch of Ruse Field. For, Northern, for North Dakota State, uh, Easton Stick, still one of the best names in college football, returns for his second season at the helm of the Bison, uh, at least behind quarterback, I should say, um, who last week they put on a good old-fashioned beat down of Mississippi Valley State, uh, 72 to 7 in Fargo. And But don't forget that when these two teams met last year, North Dakota State needed overtime to win 50 to 44 at the Fargo Dome. Uh, this year's Bison squad only returns two starters off of an offensive line uh, that really uh, was dominant on the ground. So it's going to be a tough test for them to see if they can integrate all the new pieces along the O-line. On the other side, though, their defense defense is a very veteran unit led by fifth-year senior linebacker Nick DeLuca and a pair of outstanding safeties in Trey Dempsey and Robbie Grimsley, both of whom will probably get NFL looks. And I think it's going to be that secondary uh, that is going to be the edge that the Bison need in order to take this one on the road. So I see them winning 37-27, to 27, but it's uh, it is a great top 10 matchup of FCS squads in, in that is definitely the game of the week in uh, FCS, or as we were calling it earlier this week, Division 2. Yes. So, um, but yeah, shout out to our last <laughs> podcast. People who don't know the difference between <laughs> FCS, 1AA, Division 2, FBS, and all that jazz. Um, anyhow, Josh, what's your second slant? Yeah, my second slant heads to the Empire State. We got uh, Buffalo heading to Army. Army uh, had a breakthrough season last year, their best season in decades. Uh, And they got off to a really hot start. They destroyed Fordham last week, a game in which they had 500 yards of offense and 500 rushing yards because they went over two pass game. Uh, Buffalo had a pretty salty effort against. Minnesota and their opener only losing that game 17 to 7. Uh, Matt, you and I love Lance Leopold. We wish for the best. We hope this is a breakthrough season for the Bulls in his third year there. Um, and maybe one way to kick it off would be to pull an upset up at West Point. But I'm really curious about that game based on how Buffalo looked better than expected. And if you care about triple option football, uh, that game is at 11 a.m. and then at 2:30 Central Time. Then you've got Tulane heading to Navy. So our two uh, major military academies have both intriguing matchups this week. All right, Coach, what's your second slant? Well, my second slant, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a cruise around the Sun Belt. I'm, I'm going to be just kind of Mister, uh, Mister Conference Preview here. Um, I, I, there are a lot of intriguing matchups here in the. Uh, in the Sun Belt Conference, the one that I that I previewed earlier uh, in the summer or earlier during our run of uh, a podcast here, but uh, what what I like about 
the Sun Belt conferences. They uh, they got some challenging games this week. Uh, first first off, uh, Oklahoma State is actually traveling to Mobile. So whoever the athletic director at uh, at Oklahoma State is, um, I'm not so sure that uh, you should be traveling to a Sun Belt team if you're uh, number 11 in the country. But uh, to each his own, I guess. Uh, but but they uh, Mason Rudolph and the Cowboys traveled to take on South Alabama. Look to get another one on track. Uh, that game's actually taking place to, uh, on Friday night. So uh, Saturday, the Miami Arkansas State game uh, has been canceled. Um, so that game is is look looking to be postponed to a later date. Uh, UL Monroe travels to Tallahassee to take on the Florida State Seminoles at Dope Campbell Stadium. The, this will be the first game without injured DeAndre Francois. Again, DeAndre Francois out for the season, so that should be a big blow for the for the uh, not the Hurricanes, but it should be a big blow for the Seminoles. Uh, they start James Blackman under center, so that'll be uh, that'll be interesting to see how he develops. Uh, at least he's got Louisiana Monroe to uh, to get some growing pains out of the way. Um, Matt, your uh, your New Hampshire whatever those whatever Wild that is. Tra- there you go. The New Hampshire Wildcats are traveling to Allen E. Paulson Stadium in Statesboro, Georgia, to take on Georgia Southern. Uh, Georgia Southern uh, Shy Wirtz uh, last week was four of eight for eight yards, throwing one pick. So uh, not not too good of a game for Georgia Hold on, Southern. Coach, I'm going to interject that quick. New Hampshire is back on the up and up, looking as uh, better than they have since uh, at any point since Chip Kelly left town. So uh, watch nice. out for the Wildcats down there. I know Georgia Southern's a, a strong team, but they they got a little roughed up last week against Auburn, and uh, they shouldn't be thinking that uh, UNH is some sort of is going to roll over for them to be some sort of patsy. They're gonna they're gonna try to put it to them. Yeah, well, I'll tell you who else is going to try to put it to uh, to a team. That's going to be Texas State. Uh, looking to put something to Colorado. They travel uh, out to Boulder. Uh, that'll be an interesting game from Folsom Field, but Colorado should they should pretty much roll in there. Uh, Savannah State taking on Appy State uh, at Kid Brewer Stadium in Boone, North Carolina. Appy State looking to uh, brush off and uh, and take on Savannah State and clean up their season. Taylor Lamb is the leading rusher and leading passer. I don't know what that says about your team so far, but – uh, Jay, they're going to get Jalen Moore into the mix more. Uh, the Raging Cajuns travel to Tulsa to Chapman Stadium to take on the Golden Hurricanes. Uh, Raging Cajuns looking to stay undefeated. Uh, the president, I mean, Chad president of Tulsa uh, is their leading passer. Uh, looks to be a huge factor in this game as they try to get one at home. Alabama State travels down to Troy. Uh, and UNLV travels out to the Vandals of Idaho. UNLV um, hoping that uh, Idaho is uh, less than a high school team. Maybe they have a chance at winning. Uh, New Mexico State and New Mexico battle for state supremacy in Albuquerque at Dream Style Stadium. Uh, the, uh, I, think the, I think the scheduled high is supposed to only be 89 degrees, so a very cool, cool uh, game. Very, very uh, cool. I, I'm trying to figure out what a uh, cool night game, I guess. Uh, very, very, very chilly night game out in New Mexico. I wonder how many times I can say chili. I don't know, but I, th- I think that's uh, I, th- I think you handled it well. Um, for my final slant, um, I want to do a quick uh, power ranking of the top ten group of five teams, uh, at least in, from my vantage point, 
for this season, um, at least so far. So um, we're going to start here at number 10 with a school that Coach just mentioned, and that is the Appalachian State Mountaineers. Um, though they were held in check by your dogs last week, Coach, uh, the denizens of Boone this year uh, have a pretty good shot to go through the Sun Belt unscathed. Uh, number nine, I've got Navy. The Middies ran amok over Florida Atlantic last week, led by quarterback Zach Aby, uh, who had a, a what I would call a Keenan Reynolds-esque performance with 235 yards and two scores on the ground, while he went a comfortable three for 10 through the air for 110 yards and a touchdown. Everyone's favorite Hawaiian, Ken Niamatololo, has the triple option going in full force again, um, and they are definitely a contender in the American, which is also where we find our number eight team, the Memphis Tigers. My man crush, Jay Norvell, did not start the season off as well as he would have liked through the air with quarterback Riley Ferguson going only 10 of 25 for 97 yards and a pick last week. But they did run the ball with some serious force against UL Monroe. Um, so uh, this week, though, they will travel to my number two team in the group of five uh, for an American cross-divisional showdown on Friday. So we'll get to that in a second. Uh, number seven, I've got San Diego State. Rashad Penny was outstanding in his first game as a starter, replacing the illegitimate NCAA rushing leader, Donnell Pumphrey. Uh, he had 197 yards and two scores on only 21 carries this past week. They've got a couple of games against Pac-12 opponents over the next few weeks, and then they start their conference season off in college. Colorado Springs. So uh, really tough three-game stretch for the Aztecs, but after that, they should should be clear sailing for them. Number six, I've got Houston. Um, year one of the post-Herman era uh, kicks off officially this weekend in Tucson um, against Arizona. Major Applewhite um, will be breaking in former uh, Texas A&M Aggie quarterback Kyle Allen, but the best player on this still team uh, is still defensive tackle at Oliver, All-American type, and he's the kind of guy who's going to be a top 10 overall pick in the NFL draft when he comes out after next season. Um, number five, uh, team that Josh t- talked about, Army. Um, they are continuing on with their strong finish from last season. Uh, the Black Knights walloped Fordham 64-6 to last week, despite, as Josh said, zero completions in the passing game. Um, going forward this season, they should be favored in every single game for the rest of the season, except when they play at Ohio State next week. Um, number four, I've got Boise State. Um, they're a perennial contender, but they did not really look 100% their usual selves in their opener versus Troy last weekend. But I think that's partially due to the fact that the Trojans are having another really solid year and have a really good team again this year. Um, they've got a tough matchup this week in the Palouse, which we'll be talking about a bit later. Quarterback Brett Rippon and Coach Brian Harson are still there. And at this point, you really have to give the benefit of the doubt to the team that plays on the Smurf turf. Number three, bronze medal position. Um, I've got Colorado State. They lost a tough one to Colorado last week, but they still got Nick Stevens pulling the strings on the offense for the fighting Bobos. Uh, speaking of Bobo, he's going to be one of the hottest names for jobs this year once the silly season begins. So don't forget, you hear you heard it here on Illegal Motion First. We've been talking about Bobo forever and ever and ever. Um, he's going to be uh, going to a Power Five job real soon. Number two, um, I mentioned that they will be playing uh, Memphis this week, and that is UCF. Scott Frost, in his second season, uh, really has his offense clicking on all cylinders already, busting out of the gate uh, for a 61-point performance and nearly 600 total yards in their route last week of FIU. 
And finally, number one, no surprise to anyone uh, for a group of five teams, South Florida. They've not only got the best player in the group of five, obviously quarterback Quinton Flowers, who um, uh, should be heading to New York City for the Heisman Trophy this year if uh, they play their cards right and things break correctly for him. Um, but they're also probably the favorite to play in a New Year's Six game. But you know, they've got to be careful in their own division because, like I said, they got UCF there in the American in the American East. So those are the top 10 schools in the group of five as I see it. Uh, Josh, anyone that you want to add or does anyone else stand out to you? Well, I got a policy on my blog, and I will keep it here too. I don't like having polls this early in the season. I wait until I see a sample size. I don't do any polling until week four. But I think that you hit at least the right teams, maybe not the final order that will shake out to be, but uh, that South Florida team, really, really good. Uh, they've had some slow starts, though, in their opening two weeks. So hopefully uh, Charlie Strong isn't messing up a good thing. I don't think he is. I think he's, you know, they're obviously going to be adapting to his sort of style of defense, especially. And they're still trying to figure out who's going to replace Marlon Mack uh, on the, within the ground game. But Quentin Flowers enough is uh, should be enough at least to lead them to a divisional title in the American, which is still the best of the group of five conferences. So. Agreed. All right. Well, then it is time for us uh, to head to our deep roots. But our first one is going to be a bit of an audible here. Um, And we are going to talk quickly about the uh, game that pits Nebraska at Oregon. And, Josh, I know you had a couple thoughts here on this game. Yeah, I just – breaking it down for the blog, I really don't see any way Nebraska even hangs around in this game. Uh, Their new-look defense are switching to the 3-4 just struggled mightily against Arkansas State. They gave up 415 passing yards, gave up 36 points, uh, and they're traveling to Autzen to take on a really good Oregon offense. The Oregon defense is still kind of a mystery bag, but the Ducks put up 77 points in their opener, and Justin Herbert was his usual incredible self. And Royce Freeman, who I talked about back when we did the Pac-12 previews, he had 150 yards and an Abe Lincoln four-score touchdown day. What in the world is the Cornhuskers even going to throw at this Duck team? I don't see how they can even be competitive, let alone have a prayer of winning. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think the the calls for Mike Riley's job might might start coming out about halfway through this season because Nebraska Nebraska's going to have some real tough sledding this year. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they god almighty, they just looked they just looked out of sorts, out of sync. They just didn't look like they were even able to hang on the same field with Arkansas State. I mean, Arkansas State had they had 5 minutes left of game clock, they would have they would have won by two scores. I mean, they were. I mean, they they were just. I don't know. Just something. Something seems off about Nebraska, and it just it's, it's odd. Yeah, I I think that I don't think that they'll be able to stop Oregon's ground game at all this week, and I still don't think Tanner Lee is the answer at quarterback. But they really have much else. So, um, you know, he hasn't really shown me all that much in the brief time he's had there. But, you know, 
they believe in him, and they're obviously they're still a talented team. They have recruited, you know, relatively well over the past couple of years. But between scheme changes, coaching changes, uh, some you know departures, uh, whether it's because of suspensions or graduation, you know, the Huskers look a little thin this year, and so. You know, some pe- I didn't see too many people picking them to big- win the Big Ten West. I know a couple of publications did, but I don't think that they're going to be – I don't see them go- jumping Wisconsin. I don't, frankly, see them getting ahead of Iowa or even Minnesota this year. So, I don't know, Josh, you've probably got a, a, your, your, your hand on the pulse of the Big Ten West a little bit more than either of us do. But do you think they even have a chance in the division? No, I had them finishing even behind Northwestern. So you got them uh, fifth? I do. Wow. I have them with a losing record. I have them going five and seven. Oh, oh how the mighty have fallen. All right. Well, well, I mean, you know, I mean, you know the old joke about Nebraska football. Do tell. How many Nebraska fans does it take to change a light bulb? Um, I'm going to assume it takes uh, two, one to change the light bulb, and one to say how great it was when they used to change the light bulbs back in the day. Very, very close to the punchline. It doesn't matter how many number you say. Let's just say you say 10. It takes 10 Nebraska fans, one to change the light bulb, and the other nine talk about how great the old light bulb used to be. Oh, yeah. Well, there you have it. All right. Well, uh, speaking of Oregon, let's stick in the Pac-12 North for our first breakdown uh, of our Deep Root segment, where we talk about uh, the Boise State Broncos, who are heading to uh, Washington State uh, for the nightcap uh, on ESPN this weekend. Um, We've got uh, a a team that, you know, we all love the Pirate so much. Um, And Luke Falk is back for Washington State. So, you know, they've got some serious firepower on offense. So, Josh, how is Boise State going to try to slow them down? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, I think it's what we've seen the Washington State's bugaboo in other games. Uh, for instance, we saw it in the bowl game last year, saw it against Washington in the Apple Cup. Uh, if you have a really physical front seven, if your offensive line or your defensive line gets after it and harasses Falk and makes that passing attack pedestrian, you stand a chance because – um, I don't think it's fair to call Washington State a finesse team. Um, I don't think that's fair because they have a bruising running game at times. Um, but Washington State does not like their quarterback getting hit, and they seem a tad more vulnerable to that than some other teams. So that's what Boise State has to do. They have to have a mammoth day from that, from that defensive line. Yeah, I mean you have to you about have to if you're gonna if you're gonna stop a pirate. I mean, you know, their their offense looks to be you know, I, I know they struggle every year in their opening game, uh and, and they've they've kind of shown that that doesn't really matter. I mean Luke Falk, thirty three of thirty nine for three eleven and three touchdowns. In those terms that's kind of pedestrian, but I mean it's it, it's gonna be a good it's gonna be a good matchup. Boise State's gonna have to uh, you know, figure out a way to kind of slow them down. Uh, they are a, a team that once they get you running, they're running. So what Boise State has to do is just disrupt their tempo because Mike Leach likes to use tempo. He likes to get in and out of the huddle. He likes, you know, th- that's just what he does. And if you can if you can disrupt that and get Luke Falk even just simply out of rhythm, 
then you know you, you have a good shot of not only uh, causing them trouble, but you have a good shot of beating them. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we've seen Washington State when they should, you know, beat down on a team, struggle at times. I mean, you saw in the bowl game last year against Minnesota. So, you know, I I think that most people, and rightly so, should be predicting Washington Washington State to win here. They're 10-point favorites, but Boise State always plays up to their competition. So you really can't count them out here. Well, Um, the one thing that I'm interested in – for both these teams is how much did they actually show in their week one opponents? Um, you know, coach broke down the, the numbers that Wazoo had, but they only put up 31 points. You know, they, they were a little bit more diligent than they normally are. 33 minutes time of possession, um, you know, seven points each quarter until the fourth where they got 10, kind of a ho-hum offensive performance for them when we're used to seeing the fireworks. And Boise, I mean, Matt, you mentioned kind of a slow start, but I'm, I'm curious if they both peaked ahead, both respected each other, and just played with half a playbook and offensively and didn't show any blitzes or, or exotic looks they might spring on defense. That's something I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, playing Montana State last week for Washington State, obviously that wasn't really going to test them all that much. I mean, they only gave up 143 yards. Uh, so, I, so, and Montana State is not the strongest of FCS squads either. You know, they're not they're not ranked. They're not getting votes, anything like that. So, I don't think that that is going to be very indicative of the Wazoo team that we're going to see, but. They're going to try to open it up, obviously. Uh, you know, we all, like you guys have said, the Pirate loves to throw the ball, loves to use that tempo, and we should see a lot of that here. But I think the Boise State should be able to score a little bit as well. Brett Rippon is a veteran quarterback, um, you know, only junior, but it feels like he's been around forever. So, you know, I, I think that I think that Wazoo will be able to pull this one out, but uh, should be a nice, close matchup. Um out there in the Palouse. Well, let's take it from uh, the Palouse down to Howard's Rock. Uh, Clemson, South Carolina, is the home of one of the absolute marquee games of the weekend when the Auburn Tigers come into town to take on Clemson in uh, some Tiger-on-Tiger crime. Um, Obviously, uh, last week um, in their first game, uh, Clemson debuted Kelly Bryant as their new starting quarterback, and he acquitted himself finally going 16 of 22 for 236 yards. Uh, but, you know, it's going to be um, a much bigger challenge on the Clemson defense this week, um, much more so than Kent State ever was going to be to Clemson because Auburn, we know, can run the ball. So, Coach, you are man in the SEC and married to a Clemson grad. So how is this one going to shake out? Well, uh, it's going to be an extremely interesting contest. Both teams kind of rolled easily in week one. Uh, But what I really love about Kelly Bryant is he did exactly what he should have done against Kent State. He handled his business. He was extremely efficient. He was extremely dangerous through the air, on the ground, and looked like it just really just looked real comfortable running that offense. And even though it was Deshaun Watson's offense uh, for three years, you know, it looked like he'd been running that thing for the last four years. 
And, uh, you know, the guys responded to him, and it was really good. And then on the flip side with Auburn, you know, Jared Stidham did the same thing, you know, looked extremely efficient and just I was impressed. And then you have uh, then you have starter Cameron Petway. Um, he'll look to return to the lineup. He's been battling hamstring issues, so he'll he'll look to get some action there. Carry uh, on Johnson. Uh, he had a hamstring as well. He rushed for 136 yards last week. Uh, both of them guys will uh, will return full healthy, hopefully, uh, to the lineup. Cameron Petway, one of my favorite backs. I, I said he was going to be a sleeper candidate for Offensive Player of the Year in this conference. Just a big, huge, bruising number 36 tailback. Uh, but I mean, you know, again, it's just a battle of the quarterbacks here, and uh, just see who can who can manage the game the best. Uh, what goes what goes in Clemson's favor is you have one of the top defensive fronts in the country, Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence going to wreak havoc there um, on the defensive line. Christian Wilkins is an end. Dexter Lawrence also uh, runs inside at, at tackle. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to be one of those games that it'll be overshadowed in my house because uh, of another game we'll talk about here in a little bit. But, you know, if, if you're going to watch a game, that's, that's one to watch. And that'll be, you know, that'll be a good matchup. I think Clemson's going to come out ahead. I think because uh, they're hosting Auburn and they typically play a lot better at home. It'll be a night game. Uh, the crowd will be jacked up. They'll run down the hill. Dabo will pump his fist a few times and uh, Kelly Bryant will, will, will go off, I think, again. Josh, what are you looking for here in this matchup? Well, I'm looking at two defenses that were not tested at all in the passing game a week ago. Auburn's opponent, Georgia Southern, uh, they went four of eight on passing for eight yards and a pick. Uh, Clemson's opponent, Kent State, they played two quarterbacks, would have combined one of five for one yard. Uh, and so we've talked a lot about Kelly Bryant. He was incredible against Kent State. Uh, Jarrett Stidham played pretty well. I wouldn't say he was incredible like Bryant was, but uh, this is a big step up for both of those secondaries. So I think it's going to be whoever makes the most adjustments defending a passing game that they haven't had to do yet this season. Yeah, you know, um, one of the other things that I'm interested in Clemson this year is, I mean, obviously everyone talks about how they lost to Sean Watson, the quarterback, but don't, don't forget they lost Wayne Gallman at tailback too. And he was a pretty, he was a workhorse for them over the last couple of years. So um, in their first game last week, their leading rusher was Travis Etienne, um, who – you know, who, who was a freshman playing his first uh, playing his first collegiate game. Um, no, and he quoted himself pretty well, 81 yards and a score on only eight carries, so more than 10 a carry. But um, it's going to be interesting to see sort of what the running back rotation there looks like as well. Um, Coach, you have any insight on that? On the running back situation? Mm-hmm. I think Etienne played himself into a, a much bigger role. I think eventually he'll kind of play himself into that starting role. But I, mean, I think it's going to go a lot like it did last week. I think Etienne's going to get more carries, but I think it's going to be more of a more of a shared backfield this week. And then uh, one of those two will probably work their way into that number one spot. All right, Josh, uh, coach has Clemson winning. Uh, who have you got? Well, I got Clemson uh, winning the ACC, so it'd be – Pretty foolish of me not to take my ACC champ at home against a good Auburn team, but I wouldn't say Auburn is on the same level quite yet as this Clemson Tiger program. 
Yeah, you know, and I'm with you, Josh, in terms of I'm not completely sold on uh, Stidham yet as quarterback either. He he never really like you know stood out to me as one of like the great Baylor quarterbacks. I mean, he was no you know Robert Griffin or even Bryce Petty. You know, I mean, he was was solid in his time at Baylor, but I I don't think he's he's you know a supreme upper echelon talent. So, um, well, let's, uh, let's take a look at another, uh, probably the marquee matchup of the weekend. Um, and that is when the Oklahoma Sooners head to the shoe to take on the Buckeyes, uh, number five versus number two in the AP poll. Uh, you know, obviously last week, JK Dobbins had his coming out party, but all the talk here, Josh is between the quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield and JT Barrett. So, um, uh, you know, what are you going to be looking for here in this matchup? Well, I'm looking again at a questionable Oklahoma defense. Uh, this is a defense that finished 75th in scoring a season ago. Uh, sort of felt like they weren't a championship defense a year ago. They're untested this season with UTEP. Um, you know, they, they were in a lot of shootouts, so bet the over, by the way. Oklahoma was in seven games last season. I went 65 points or over, and that's currently the over-under. <laughs> Just a little gambling tip right there. But, um, you know, Ohio State won this game 21, 21 points a season ago. They absolutely shredded that defense. JT Barrett's back. It's a really good offensive line. I think the Buckeyes are capable of putting a number up there that, frankly – Oklahoma's not used to playing good defenses in the Big 12. I mean, I don't want to rag on an entire league, but let's be honest. It's a shootout league, and just like we were saying with Washington State, when they run up against a good physical defense, they stumble a little bit. When Big 12 teams run up against some of these really good physical defenses, sometimes stumble a little bit. So I think the Buckeyes are going to be able to take it um, in the shoe. All right. Uh, Coach, how do you feel about this? Just after watching these two teams play, I mean, what Ohio State did, um, they they withstood an initial surge against Indiana. You knew Indiana was going to was gonna come out hot in the very first game of the year against a top-notch opponent. You knew you were going to get their best, uh, but they ran out of gas, and Ohio State showed why they're Ohio State. They have depth and depth and depth. They have uh, freshmen that, that are that – are, contributing they have big guys up front that can run not only on the uh, offensive line but defensive line you have jk dobbins who showed out he's one of those freshmen i was talking about i mean they just have so much going for him jt barrett extremely veteran quarterback he threw for 304 passing yards and, and three touchdowns as they started just putting it on uh indiana last week i uh, just just the momentum ohio state has is just unreal and and the fact that they play so well at home and the fact that they're already so strong i like them and i like them i'm not gonna say big but fairly big i I like them by i like them by 13 points all right yeah you know one of the things that impressed me most about ohio state last week like josh said you knew indiana was going to be tough but they came out and had a really balanced attack 304 yards passing 292 yards on the ground 
And that is going to serve them very well because I think that for all the talent that Oklahoma has on offense, um, they're still unproven at running back. Their top two running backs from last year, Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon, are off making hay in the NFL on the Washington professional football team and Cincinnati Bengals, uh, respectively. And so, you know, Abdul Adams got the start for them last week uh, against UTEP. And, you know, he was okay, but nothing special. And what I would worry about if I was Oklahoma is if they can't run the ball, that just lets, um, you know, that lets Ohio State's defense really just pin their ear backs and get after Baker Mayfield. And, you know, that's one of the things that they do best. Obviously, guys like Nick Bosa and the rest of that uh, defensive line really know how to get after the quarterback. So, you know, I just – I don't see – I mean, there, there's definitely a, a formula for Oklahoma to go in and compete and possibly even win this game. But, you know, Ohio State's favored by seven. And, Coach, I'm with you. I think Ohio State win, Ohio State should win by double digits here. So Yeah, no doubt. I mean, yeah. I think J.K. Dobbins is going to have a huge game. I, think, I mean, it's there's just a lot going for him. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, uh, Coach, uh, let's head to um, South Bend, Indiana, where your number 15 Georgia Bulldogs will be starting um, Jake Fromm, true freshman, in his first collegiate start uh, to take on uh, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish this year, uh, led at quarterback by Brandon Wimbush, um, who takes over for the Deshaun Kaiser uh for the Deshaun Kaiser show, especially after Malik Zaire transferred to Florida and did not acquit himself very well last week against Michigan. Um, so, Coach, obviously this is your squad. So um, how, you know, how is Kirby Smart and the rest of that Georgia coaching staff going to deal with having a true freshman quarterback starting his first game on the road, you know, at Notre Dame? That is not an easy place to get your first start. No, absolutely not. And they're going to lean on Sony Michelle, and they're going to lean on Nick Chubb in the running game. They're going to try to get that offensive line going. It's going to be a tough deal to do. Uh, they're going to rely on their their veteran defense, who came out really strong last week, to fly around and 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 keep the keep the dogs in it. They're going to rely on special teams. Obviously, uh, they don't mind punting because they have an elite punter who's going to boom it 50 yards in the air. So they're just going to have to try to hang on, play field position, and, and take shots when they can. And then just try to let let Jake from manage the game. You know, try not to throw too much on him at once. Let him manage the game. Put it in Chubb and Sony Michelle's hands, and, and let's go get it. And, and hopefully they'll they'll get a couple of, of short passes early to to calm his nerves. And then maybe you know we'll see what the young kids got. So, uh, but I mean you know Roquan Smith is going to lead that defense uh, up in, in the front, and then. Uh, you know, Reggie Wilkerson is going to lead that thing in, in the back. And uh, it's going to be, you know, it, it'll be a good, it'll be a good contest and it'll be a good test for that defense to see just how truly elite they are. They are, um, you know, Brandon Wimbush is, is going to be tough to, uh, to handle for, for that defense. He's going to make it, uh, he's going to, he's going to test them for sure. Uh, running backs, Dexter Williams and Josh Adams are going to, you know, they're going to be a, a stiff test as well. I mean, they, they, Notre Dame's got a lot to work with. And Notre Dame has two really good tackles. And in that often than we imagined. So it's it's going to be 
it's going to be interesting. Um, I don't really know how to pick this game. I think Georgia's favored by four and a half, uh, so I'm going to take I'm going to take them barely at four and a half, um, just just for the sheer fact that they might win by a touchdown because Nick Chubb will rush for 150 yards. I think I think they're going to really take the sh- I really think they're going to shoulder the load on the offensive line and they're just going to take it over. I think yeah. that's how they're going to roll. I'm just I'm curious as, as far as the Georgia secondary is concerned, who's going to match up on Equinemius St. Brown because he is a big physical receiver, and so I don't know if they're going to sort of you know man up you know Malcolm Parrish or DeAndre Baker straight on him and sort of uh, shadow him, or if they're just going to stick him on left and right and sort of roll coverage towards him. Uh, they'll do a lot of stuff, and I, I think a lot of it will be predicated on the pressure they get on Wimbush up front. Uh, they'll try a lot with that to kind of make up for it. Malcolm Parrish is injured, so. They'll have Tyreek McGee playing. They'll have D'Angelo Gibbs. We'll get some action in there. Aaron Davis, uh, they'll try to mix it up here. Dominic Sanders, uh, not Reggie Wilkerson. Dominic Sanders is going to lead that thing back uh, back in, on, the, on the back end at free safety. They'll probably roll coverage to him. They'll probably play, they'll probably play two-man. They'll probably come out with a lot of different things to, uh, to try to take care of Equinemius St. Brown. Um, and I think I said that right. Mm-hmm. But uh, – they have a lot of options back there in the secondary. Malcolm Parrish, um, again, is probably not going to be available. But um, you have, uh, you know, very talented guys back there. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. Josh, what are you looking for here in this matchup? Yeah, I think if I'm Georgia, I just honestly load up the box, put eight men in the box, uh, go single coverage. Trust my athletes on the in the secondary because. Look at Notre Dame's rushing numbers uh, a week ago against Temple. Josh Adams, 19 for a buck 61. Dexter Williams, six carries, 124 yards. And then the quarterback, Brandon Wimbush, uh, gashed Temple pretty good for 106 yards on 12 carries. I- I'm not sure Wimbush is good enough passing quite yet uh, to get past a, a good defense. So, I, I just ride or die with a with a stacked box, and hey, if Wimbush picks you apart, you know more power to him. But uh, yeah, if I'm if I'm Georgia, I make this kind of a, a physical uh, bloodbath. You know, I, I run the ball a boatload, protect uh, from that way, and you know look for for Georgia to have probably about forty fifty carries. Uh, you know, probably about twenty for Chubb and twenty for Sony Michelle and make it a physical game and, and try and shut down that potentially lethal Notre Dame running attack. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, obviously, but you know, Notre Dame still um, behind, you know, McGlinchey and the rest of that offensive line, you know, they're, they're pretty formidable up there, but I think that Kirby smart's going to be up to the task there. That's why I think you have to overwhelm them with numbers. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they should be up to attack, uh, up, up to the, um, you know, what they're going to need. Uh, they, they know what they need to do at this point. So um, like coach said, um, actually at this point, Notre Dame is a, a four and a half point favorite at home. So, um, you know, it, it looks, I, I personally, I, I, I'm hesitant to take a true freshman quarterback on the road in his first start, especially against, uh, you know, a veteran talented team like Notre Dame. But we've seen over the past couple of years, uh, Brian Kelly's squad, um, you know, can, you know, is Jekyll and Hyde at times. And some some days they'll look great, but sometimes their defense 
will not look so great. And if they can get that running game going, you know, I, I think I think the sky's the limit for them. And so we'll, we'll see if that if Fromm is able to, you know, retain the starting job uh, when Eason comes back healthy. Uh, do we have a timetable on Eason's return, Coach? They're saying it's week to week, but I'm thinking about three weeks probably. Mm-hmm. About, yeah. about ready for about ready for Tennessee, roughly. All right. All right. That, um, well, that should be fun. Well, you know, that game kicks off at uh, 730 Eastern, which is the same time as the Oklahoma State, oh, sorry, the Oklahoma-Ohio State game and half an hour after the Auburn-Clemson game. So all those will be going in full force when our final deep root of the weekend uh, kicks off at 830 Eastern, and that is the Stanford Cardinal heading to the Coliseum to take on the Trojans, who were underwhelming at best against Western Michigan last week. Um, everyone's preseason darling, Sam Darnold, did not have his best game. 23-33, 289 yards, both respectable but not fantastic. Two picks and no touchdowns, though. So, But uh, they've still got Ronald Jones uh, carrying the ball on the ground for them. He did uh, yeoman's work last week with 159 yards and three touchdowns. So, uh, Josh... You know, we've got, you know, two Pac-12 powerhouses here, uh, including, you know, the preseason favorite USC um, and, you know, perennial contender Stanford. So what, um, you know, what have you got as the keys to the game? Well, the keys are going to be the physicality and can USC overcome it? We've, you know, had concerns about their offensive line. They had two sacks four tackles for loss against Western Michigan. Uh, so that didn't go particularly well. Nine penalties for 94 yards, shooting herself in the foot. That didn't go well for USC. Uh, Western Michigan punished them with a running game, 263 rushing yards for the Broncos to just 94 passing yards. And Western Michigan held the ball for almost 10 more minutes and the Trojans in the game, if they repeat that against an even more physical team in Stanford, they're toast. You cannot have that many penalties. They also lost a turnover margin to the Broncos. Can't, have, can't lose a turnover margin. Can't have penalties. Can't get worn down and lose the time of possession to that great a degree. And also, Stanford, a really, really advantageous schedule. They played week zero in Australia, got last week off, I'm a believer that when you have a super soft opponent, the bye week can actually be a little bit of a negative because you kind of are just get that two full weeks of going, eh, we're playing nobody next week, eh. And sometimes you lose your little bit of an edge. But when you have a big-time opponent and a rival and a potential uh, Pac-12 title game foreshadowing on the line, you know Stanford's been dialed in for two weeks. They probably had their two best weeks of practice practice since the Rose Bowl a couple years ago. So I expect the Cardinal to uh, to win this game if USC repeats some of their boneheaded stupidity a week ago. Yeah, Coach, one guy that really stood out for me uh, in Stanford's first game was, uh, was Bryce Love, their first-year starting tailback coming in to replace Christian McCaffrey. Uh, he's a former four-star out of Wake Forest, North Carolina. And he showed that he's got some jets, 13 carries, 180 yards last week, uh, broke a couple long ones. So, uh, Coach, do you think that USC is going to be able to contain Bryce Love and sort of put more of the burden on Keller Crist? 
Well, I mean, you, you would like to say that they're that they can, but I mean, you know, look what they did against Western Michigan. I mean, Western Michigan kind of had their way with that defense, and you know, it wasn't until late till Western Michigan essentially just ran out of gas before USC was able to step on the step on the pedal and and really pull away from them. I mean, I mean the Broncos like had two hundred and sixty. Yeah, Broncos had two hundred sixty three yards on the ground. Last week against SC, so yeah, I mean they they chewed, yeah, exactly, and they chewed up a lot of yarns, and it wasn't until they got tired until USC just got them, and so it, it's I don't know, I mean they're going to have to sell out to stop the run or Bryce Love. We're going to be talking about his his highlight day, his his big day against USC, and we're going to talk about this game as why do we even cover it as a deep route when it was just going to be a blowout, and and I, I don't know, I mean. If Stanford can get Bryce Love going, which I think given the stats that USC gave up in week one on the ground, then I don't know. It's it's not looking good for the Trojans because once Stanford establishes the run, they show they're pretty dangerous. Well, and the other thing about, about the Trojan defense is the strength of their defense is in the secondary with Iman Marshall and the rest of those corners that they've got. You know, their 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 front seven is a, is a little more green this year than they have been in years past. So, you know, and I think that really showed in their in their first matchup. Now, obviously, you know, they're going to tinker with it in uh, in, in this in this week of practice, but you know, oh, yeah. it's not easy to prepare for a team like Stanford who you know is just going to come up in you know 12 you know 12 formation and even 13 formation and just try to bludgeon you to death and I don't know if uh, you know if, if USC has enough guys to rotate in on the front seven to keep fresh to keep you know the pressure on knifing into the backfield and trying to uh, catch love before he gets a full head of steam going. Well, that and and just the running lanes that are going to be open by the fact that they have their you know their big boys in there. They have their twelve, thirteen personnel. You know, they have double tight with a with a wing back and you know and an H back, and they're just freaking loading up on the run. And next thing you know, they're they're gashing them for two hundred fifty yards. And Kel- and Keller Chris is g- going to tell uh, going to tell his head coach that he quits because hey, I have. Hey, we've been three and a half quarters. I haven't attempted to pass yet. This is I'm I'm bored, coach. <laughs> you know that's you know that's that's how I envision. I mean, it's going to be. I mean, they're just going to line up and ram it down their throat, and I think they will do that with with some success. I think the only way if Keller Chris could throw less passes if he played for his uncle Paul at Wisconsin. That's true. Very true. So, um, well, in, in this game, USC is a six and a half point favorite, but it sounds to me, Josh, like you're going to pick Stanford. I'm picking Stanford. I am. I'm picking Stanford, too. Um, and, you know, I, I thought Stanford was going to be a good team this year. I just did, liked a couple teams a little bit more on them up in the Pac-12 North, which is stacked this year. Uh, I thought Darnold was really, really good. I respected the hell out of him. I thought this USC had some flaws, and they were exposed way earlier than any of us expected as Western Michigan dictated – a lot of the physicality in that game. Well, guys, don't forget the last, uh, I think it's the last four times that USC has began the year in the top 10. They have lost at least four games. And I think that trend is going to continue. And I think that starts right here when uh, David Shaw brings his boys down. And I, I think that Stanford is, 
obviously going to try to play a, a ball control kind of game, shorten the game, and not let Sam Darnold, uh, you know, get going and turn into one of those, you know, a, a game like he had against Penn State in the Rose Bowl, where it's just back and forth, back and forth. You know, it wouldn't gonna... be unprecedented either. The Cardinals won at the Coliseum recently, so it, you know, it's not like one of these crazy games where UNC's won the last forty-five in LA. Yeah, no, absolutely not. So um, I think that's going to make a, a clean sweep for the illegal motion guys picking uh, the Cardinal in a minor upset on the road. Well, that's the kiss of death. USC will now probably win the game forty-two to seven. More than like, more than likely, <laughs> they're, they're going to chuck it fifty-seven times with with Chris and Elon Marshall's going to have four interceptions. <laughs> that's how it's going to work. I, th- I think that's actually a nightmare, a recurring nightmare that David Shaw has. He, yeah, you know, he sure. looks down at the box score and sees more than 25 <laughs> pass attempts and starts breaking out into cold sweats. Um, but, all right, well, uh, it's time for us to head uh, and wrap up this episode with some spread formations. Uh, another quick recap. Uh, you know, we, we talked about them quick on, on uh, Monday's pod, but uh, Corey uh, is – Started off the short season uh, in, in a very nice fashion, going four and one. I was two and three against the, against the spread, and Josh, you were one and four. So let's see if we, uh, Josh, you and I can turn things around here in week two. We're going to start with a game that Corey mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, that is when TCU heads to Arkansas. The Horn Frogs are three and a half point favorites on the road, and uh, this is going to be a matchup of uh, two coaches that are, you know, surprisingly, uh, you know, two of the more established coaches in their respective conferences in Gary Patterson and Burt Bielema. Uh, Josh, who you got? I mean, these are two teams that we know next to nothing about. They both played FCS teams a week ago. They both dominated. TC won 63 nothing. Arkansas won 49-7 over the FAMU Rattlers, who – uh, as Coach mentioned, our last show had the hilarious penalty for their band. Um, but I'm going to go with TCU. I think they are a little bit better team overall. They were really dialed in, and I don't care what opponent you play. You hold a team to 65 total yards and one of 14 on third down. That defense looks like they're in midseason form already. We've been worried about some of the head case issues with TCU just uh, making weird mistakes at inopportune times, especially from their quarterback. Well, it feels like they cleaned that up a little bit last week. They were a lot better on the penalty issue, better on the turnover margin. Uh, so I, I'm going to take the Frogs to to cover three and a half because I think they win by a touchdown or more on the road. Yeah, and Josh, when you say uh, they look like they're midseason uh, form on defense, they look like they're in a couple seasons ago midseason form because Gary Patterson's yeah. defense last, last year was not – uh, not exactly vintage horn frog, but That's a great point. so uh, coach, who do you like here? I will take TCU. I think they're going to get get it together. I think Kenny Trill is going to have a very annoyingly great game, and I say annoyingly because you're going to see him up to his old antics. But I think Kenny Trill is going to have a big one here, and the Horn Frogs are going to win by ten. Last year, this game in. Uh, this matchup was in Fort Worth, and it was uh, an absolute classic overtime game that the Razorbacks won 41 to 38. Um, and, you know, as much as I, as I like Gary Patterson and I, you know, think that their defense can come around, I think that Arkansas is still, uh, you know, one of the most physical teams 
uh, in the country. And I don't know if that Big 12 defense, Josh, like you talked about, I don't know if they can hold up to the ground and pound that we're going to see from that we're going to see from Arkansas. Uh, obviously, you know, in the in our show earlier this week, I talked about um, uh, their true freshman running back, Chase Hayden, who had a really nice debut, 120 yards and a touchdown on the ground. So I'm going to, I'm going to stick with the Razorbacks and uh, my former, uh, my former muse, Burt Bielema here. So um, now our second game we're picking against the spread. Our second game we're going to pick against the spread here, Josh, is um, one that you brought to my attention. Um, And that is Western Kentucky at Illinois. Now you think, okay, well, you know, we've got a Sunbelt team heading on the road to take on a hey, Big Ten. Kusa team. I'm sorry, a Kusa team yeah. on the road taking <laughs> on a Big Ten school. Typically, you figure the Big Ten school is going to be favored by, oh, I don't know, at least two touchdowns. Not so fast, my friend. Uh, West Kentucky favored by seven and a half points on the road in Champaign. Josh, um, does this sum up the Illinois football experience in a nutshell? It does. It does. And I, uh, I I mean, Illinois was just brutal against Ball State. They probably should have lost that game. But I did a little bit of digging on Western Kentucky. I did some research, guys. And since uh, 2011, when Willie Taggart turned around Western Kentucky, uh, they're 13-12 and 12 in non-conference games. Three of those are against the FCS, also known as Division III. Uh, so that means they're 10 and 12 in FBS non-conference matchups. And of those 22 games, nine were against power conference teams. And in those nine, they're just three and six. And to cover a spread this big, they would have only done it once. And that was 35-26 over a wretched Kentucky team a few years ago that went two and 10 and winless in the SEC. So tempting as I am to take Western Kentucky, and I think they have a great shot at winning it, history says they're not going to cover that spread, so I can't believe I'm doing this, but give me those points. I'm going to take the Illini underdog. You're going to take the home dog. All right, Coach. Wow. Um, Different approach here. I just think uh, your your Conference USA champions – are going to be too much for, for old Lovey. I'm taking the Hilltoppers. All right. Um, well, uh, I'm going to stick with some topper pride, uh, not just for Western Kentucky, but all for, also for the Hillwood High School Hilltoppers. Ooh, um, and man. I'm going to I'm going to go with you on this one, Coach. I, I, I have no faith in Illinois yeah. whatsoever. I mean, that would um, be such a terrible sign. That, that Kentucky team was historically awful in, in Stoops' first year. I, I mean, that would be – it might be detrimental to Lovey Smith. Was that game the one year that Petrino was coaching at Western? It was indeed. And I okay, that's what I thought. All right. Well, and our next then, uh, then good old Petrino hopped on his motorcycle and went uh, across the state a little bit to Louisville. Did he remember to bring his neck brace? Oh yeah. I mean, he wears that thing twenty four seven. All right. Um, our next. Our next. You messed around with whiplash, Matt. <sighs> I ought to know. Um, I was in the same <laughs> neck brace after my surgery last year. Um, well, uh, our next game is another one that Coach alluded to a little bit earlier, um, where Mississippi State is eight-and-a-half-point f- favorites on the road at Louisiana Tech. But Louisiana Tech, we know, dangerous team, Josh. Um, who do you like here? 
I mean, these are two teams that I just did not see, frankly, any of a week ago. So I just kind of have to go with my gut on this one. And my gut is telling me that Mississippi State will probably win, but at eight and a half points in on the road in Ralston, it's rare for a non-power team to get a power team coming to their home in a non-conference game. I think Louisiana Tech keeps it competitive. I think they cover. They might not get over the hump and win, but I think this might be a three-point game, seven-point game, somewhere around there, which means I'm going to take the Bulldogs. Ooh. You know, I, I think I think you're on the right track here. I was going to say, you, when you say you're going to take the Bulldogs, this is a Bulldog versus Bulldog <laughs> matchup. So I was trying to hedge my bet and have you write down Bulldogs. And then give yeah, sorry, kid. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go Bulldogs here. <laughs> oh, wait. No, uh, I, I think Mississippi State's going to win, but they're going to win by seven. All right. So I think, I think La Tech is going to get the cover. All right. Um, I am – I'm a pretty big believer in Nick, in Nick Fitzgerald, um, the Mississippi State quarterback. And between him and, uh, and their coach, I, you know, eight and a half points is a little bit more than I would like to lay on this. But I'm, I'm going to stick with it, um, and I'm going to take the Bulldogs as well, uh, but this of the Magnolia State variety. So um, next, uh, we've got the Holy War. Uh, Utah is one-and-a-half point favorites in uh, Provo against BYU. Uh, BYU, Josh, they had a pretty rough go of things against uh, the Bayou Bengals last week. So, uh, you know, who have you got? Who do you think has the edge here in this matchup? Oh man, BYU had just a miserable outing against LSU, and you know, this is a BYU team that I kind of just always assume they're going to be a machine, win eight nine games each year. So, I I like BYU most years. So, I tend to think last week said more about LSU than it did for Brigham Young, but a little bit of a trend growing where um, BYU didn't have exactly a great day in the opener either against Portland State winning just 20 to six. I I hate to say it, but it, it feels like BYU might be a down a little bit. And until they sort out their issues, I, I'm going to pick against them, especially with a one and a half point spread. It's almost a pick them game. And so I'm going to go with the Utes pulling off uh, a road victory up there in LaBelle Edwards Stadium. Coach? I'm going to go Utes. I, I think Josh explained it about as good as you can explain it. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with the Utes. All right. Um, well, uh, while you guys zig, I'm going to zag. I, this is – this is the Super Bowl for both of these teams. And I think that um, with everything that happened with the game being moved from Houston to New Orleans last week, I think that might have thrown off BYU. I think that they were still sort of had a hangover from their ugly outing against Portland State. But, you know, it, it's so cliche to say throughout the records, but throughout the records. Uh, this is the Holy War. This is one of the great rivalries in college football. BYU, home field advantage, and Utah still breaking in um, a new quarterback um, in 
uh, sophomore Tyler Huntley uh, last year as um, as a redshirt freshman. You know, he only attempted seven passes. So, um, in you know, uh, in their first game, you know, he was twenty. 20- 23 of 32 for 227 yards. But again, that's against the University of North Dakota. Not North Dakota State, just regular old North Dakota. And those are two very different FCS teams. Uh, that's NAIA, right, Josh? FCS, NAIA, same thing? <laughs> Something like that? So. Exactly. I think, it, I, think, I think FCS and I think it's NJAA. <laughs> Is that in the New Jersey Athletic Association? <laughs> Isn't that the National Junior College Athletic Association? I think it's NJCAA. Yeah, yeah whatever. Who cares? Either, Either way. Either way, um, I'm taking the Cougs here um, just to be a little bit different. So, nice. All right, our final matchup, we would usually have um, Kansas or Rutgers in this matchup, but Rutgers is favored this week, and it's no fun to pick a Rutgers game when they're favored. So um, I decided to go for a matchup that is – uh, you know, finally back on uh, as of last year after about a decade of hiatus. Um, yeah, a little that, bit longer. Last matchup was 2000. So Okay, so 15-year hiatus. Yeah. About. So, um, and that is the Pitt Panthers at the Penn State Nittany Lions. Uh, Penn State, uh, Pitt last week, they struggled with Youngstown State needing overtime to win. Uh, Penn State was, you know, uh, Saquon Barkley, you know, looks like he is, you know, a Heisman frontrunner at this point. But, you know, this is still, uh, you know, a historic rivalry, if not one that has been played very much frequently. So, Josh, um, how do you see this game turning out? Well, I might be playing with fire, but Youngstown State made the national title game a season ago. They got a pretty good coach on Bo Pelini. So I'm not going to read too much into it, needing overtime against a pretty good FCS team. I know Youngstown State's intramural, but one of those pesky FCS folks. <laughs> um, so I'm going to kind of throw that game out and just go on my gut. 22 points for a, for a rivalry it's a really big margin. I mean, Penn State can win win this game 42-21, and we'd say that was a total blowout, and they still wouldn't cover a number that big. Last but not least, um, Pat Arduzzi and this team should be pretty confident. They won it last year 42-39 to and rushed for about a billion yards against Penn State's defense. So I think Pitt has a game plan. I think they might – have a couple tricks up their sleeve. I'm not saying they, they pull the upset, but, I mean, laying 22 points in a rivalry game is just – that's absurd, I feel like. So, so I'll take I'll take Pitt to cover. All right, Coach. I'm going to take Pitt to cover, too. I mean, 22 points, even if you are Penn State, I, I think I think Josh is exactly right. They are – that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Penn State's a good team. Don't get me wrong. They're not 22 points better than Pitt. So um, I will I will grab up every single one of those points on the road. Even if Pitt only loses by 21, you're still going to get your money there. So, you know, they can lose by three touchdowns, and you'll still be laughing all the way to the bank. Well, that is it for our spread formation. So, uh, Josh, any final thoughts? I'm just disappointed that Rutgers was a favorite against a pesky Eastern Michigan team, so we couldn't include them. And not there was just a, no- They're a nine-point favorite. Yeah, I mean, there was no real good game for a laughable spread. Maybe South Florida, Connecticut, but it's not as fun to rag on Connecticut. Maybe Charlotte 49ers at Kansas State, but, you know, it's 
it's not fun to rag on the 49ers either. It's, it's more fun when it's a really bad power five school. So uh, come on, Oregon State. Come on, Kansas. Come on, Rutgers. Come on, Boston College. We need someone to step up and become just a brutal power five team to do these laughable spreads against. I mean, even Purdue, you know, had a nice showing against Louisville last week. So we yeah. can't, you know, can't really consider them. It is, it, it might be a rough year for us guys. Uh, I think yeah, I mean, we might have to turn to those, both the Arizona schools could struggle, um, you know, in terms of bad power five teams. <laughs> a Baylor, obviously, if uh, if things continue the way that they started out, uh, they could be one of the bad power five teams. But um, I have a little bit more faith in Matt Rule than that. But Hey, hey if Texas blows it against San Jose State, I say they win. <laughs> if Texas blows it against San Jose State. <laughs> actually, here's a question for you, Josh. If Texas loses to San Jose State, is that a worse loss than their loss to Kansas last year? Oh, boy. Uh, I'd be inclined to say it's still worse because Kansas is at least technically a Power 5 team and is at least technically a Big 12 foe and at least technically tore up the track uh, from their football stadium, although none of us realize it until four years after the fact. Yeah, well, and it was a road game. So this is a home game for them against San Jose State. So, um, Coach, any final thoughts from you? Well, uh, I'm just hoping we can, like I said, we can find somebody to pick on. Uh, it's going to be an interesting week of college football. Uh, hope everybody stays safe with Hurricane Irma bearing down on the state of Florida and the eastern seaboard or the east coast. And uh, hope everybody stays safe with the two tropical storms that are brewing in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, Jose and Katia as well. So, um Get ready, strap it in, get your water, evacuate, whatever you got to do. But just be ready for the storm, and and hopefully everybody – Hopefully everybody stays relatively safe. All right. Well, on that note, uh, definitely stay safe out there, all of you in podcast land. Um, And we will be checking back in with you to recap all of this action and more uh, next week after these games end. So on behalf of the coach here in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid employed blogger from Big Ten (laughs) Accounting in Chicago, Illinois, Josh Cook, this the professor matt perkins saying so long and see you next time on the illegal motion college football podcast Sciok. all righty then our shout outs are gonna get ridiculous rock chalk cyhawk <laughs> rock chalk cyhawk crappy trophy oh it doesn't rhyme damn thanks for listening to the illegal motion college football podcast To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. What kind of chips do you got there, Coach? Pringles. What kind of Pringles? Pringles aren't chips. They're potato crisps. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.